This is Soundtrack, a podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kaya Leakty. So I'm here with Tom Fogarty, the man, the myth, and the legend. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, I'm trying to... I think we met uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, Sounds we, about right. Yeah, yeah we, we've known each other for quite a bit. Uh, we were roommates at two different times as well uh, before I moved um, from Detroit. But uh, yeah, and, that, and that's where we're located today here in Detroit. And you grew up in the area. You're from Westland, which is a suburb just outside of Detroit. Yep. About 25, 30 miles. No. Yeah. And what was that like growing up in the uh, Westland? You know, I lived in a neighborhood with three cul-de-sacs. Uh, we called them the three courts. It was pretty uneventful. I was, <laughs> I was homeschooled, so uh, my childhood was mostly uh, friends on the street. And... Um, you know, there were a couple couple moments of excitement with some family feuds in the neighborhood and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, then the, the first court would band against the second court or the second court <laughs> band against the third court. It's very strange when I think of the paradigm of my life today and trying to relate it back to them. But, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting, as boring as the suburban life can be, I think. <laughs> so, uh, one of the biggest... Uh, first influences in your life was grunge music, right? Yeah, probably. I, I think the first uh, the first song I can remember experiencing is uh, Pearl Jam, um, Jeremy. And for whatever reason, that just kind of resonates with me uh, in my childhood because I was pretty young, you know. Uh, I was born in 87, so I probably... I don't know what year that came out, 90... It's like 91. 91, 92, yeah. yeah. I just remember, um, you know, so I was really young, so I don't know, maybe it had been out for, maybe that song had been out for a couple of years by the time I uh, uh, had heard it, but um, uh, what I remember is uh, seeing the video for Jeremy and how impactful that was to me. You know, MTV, we grew up with a lot of MTV uh, on in the background or just, you know, everyone's just watching MTV and so my exposure to music was mostly whatever was on MTV. And you talking about you and your brothers or like even the parents? Yeah, my, my brothers, uh, more, more so. Okay. Yeah. Mostly my brothers, uh, pretty much exposed me to the music and there, there's a pretty, uh, significant age gap for us. So, um, you know, they're, they're quite a bit older than me. And so they were already had maybe a more developed, mature taste in music. And, uh, you know, uh, I was, if, if it weren't for them, I'd probably be listening to Barney and, you know, whatever <laughs> other children's music there was. But for some reason, I, I, I was drawn to like, uh, I was drawn to Pearl this Jam. 90s music, Pearl Jam and Weezer and all the other artists that were emerging in the 90s. Nirvana, you know, uh, yeah. What, so, you know, you're mentioning your brothers probably had that key influence in your life with that. Uh, why do you think 
it resonated with you though? You know, I think that for whatever reason, from the time I was pretty young, um, well, I'm probably just naturally, but it's like, uh, you know, kid sees an older sibling doing something, you know, like, and they want to kind of be like that or model that. And, uh, you know, from the time I was really young, um, I think like I wanted to, I, I strive to do things more and and to grow up a little faster probably than uh, uh, just because I had older brothers and they were already you know at this mature state I think I wanted to always wanted to kind of catch up to them and, and be be where they were I yeah. guess so uh, not only grunge but uh, punk music or even like more like the Green Day kind of punk Green Day is, yeah is taking shape yeah so uh, was that through MTV as well, or just from friends, or? MTV, friends, um, you know, whatever. Um, I remember uh, there was this thing where, um, you know, Green Day, uh, Green Day was, I think, common in our neighborhood that a lot of kids in the neighborhood listened to Green Day. And, um, you know, I remember having the cassettes, uh, like the Green Day cassettes, and we would play, uh, play them on our stereos. And um, I remember uh, Green Day had explicit lyrics, so there was like the parental advisory version, and yeah. that was, I think, what my brothers had. And um, I remember, uh, you know, it became a thing with my parents because I was only, I don't know nine or ten years old at that point and uh they had said like we don't want you listening to this stuff <laughs> like you know you have to have the clean version or whatever and so uh i remember that was a controversial thing but you know probably a pretty young age to be listening to green day anyway but <laughs> but uh that was it was it was you know neighborhood kids my brothers and you know just However, music came on, which would have, would have been MTV, uh, the radio, and whatever cassettes and later CDs we would have. Hmm. What, like, you know, I, I just, there's something fascinating, because usually, like, for me with Green Day, it wasn't until American Idiot that... I felt like I, I understood why people liked them, but that was more for political reasons. What what was it about Green Day back in the nineties with that moral like what they were trying to get at then? What why was that so appealing? You know, I think it was I was pretty young and you don't think about those things. Like if I listen to Green Day now, <laughs> you know, it, would have a very different meaning to me. I wouldn't probably choose to listen to Green Day, but if I heard, you know, or even thought about the lyrics because, you know, having listened to a band when you're so young, you, it's kind of weird, it leaves an impression on you and sometimes you could even uh, maybe recall the lyrics. <laughs> uh, but revisiting it, you know, it's just kind of like, at that time it was just, it was popular in the neighborhood and I liked the music and, mm -hmm. 
didn't really understand the lyrics because I was too young, but, um, you know, for me it was like, uh, I think it was just being a part of something and being, you know, what everyone was listening to and uh, wasn't really much thought given to meaning, I think, at that point in my life. Yeah. So, uh, as you're getting into middle school, you start to, for whatever reason, uh, what, why was hip hop and alternative rock uh, two genres that you were delving into? You know, um, my, a lot of my social circle uh, expanded through the local skating rink. <laughs> and um, as a result, uh, you kind of started to listen to what was playing at the local skating rink more. You know, you'd go home, you'd want to listen to that, and then, you know, you're kind of, uh, I guess, I, I was more drawn to the music that was surrounding me once again, wanting to, you know, listen to it more, expose myself to it more. Um, so, I, I, I would say I had a, a, a very, very distasteful interest in music for, for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, things that I would generally not revisit or want to revisit uh, for other than for maybe, I don't know, just kind of ironic in thinking yeah. to visit, revisit that and go, you know, wow, like, I really wasn't thinking about anything at this point. <laughs> it was just quite literally what was on the radio and right. what was popular, and for some reason that makes you feel good. And I think that that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, music makes you feel good. Whether you were doing it because you sought something out and uh, it made you feel good, or if the music just made you feel good and you can't even explain why. I think mm -hmm. that that's okay. Music, different music makes different people feel different things. Different people respond to music in different ways. So, you know, when we're, uh, when, anyone who, who can describe music and how it impacts their life, uh, I think, you know, many people can't describe that. Right, and they, yeah. They just kind of, it's like, It's hard to do that. Yeah, know? this song, makes me feel good and I don't know why you yeah. know high school comes around and uh, you start to begin to pick up the drums uh, tell us a story of how that came to be so um, you know I joined this youth group um, and uh, as a part of this youth group uh, at this church I was exposed quite a bit more to live music um, before that, I think I had only been to maybe one live show, uh, which was uh, at like the local community center and some hardcore band. I don't even remember the name. <laughs> kind of wish I could because it'd be interesting to revisit that yeah, someday, yeah, yeah. but I just can't. So, uh, you know, um, I had uh, a friend who was very into music at that point. Uh, and he was kind of a multi-instrumentalist and played a lot of different, um, played, played a lot of different instruments. He played guitar in the worship band. Uh, sometimes he would, um, you know, I think he would even play bass at times if I remember correctly, but he could play guitar, bass, uh, he could play keys, he could play, uh, drums. 
and um, you know he uh, he and I spent a considerable amount of time together. So um, this was uh, one one day. This was my buddy Aaron, uh, and one day uh, we're hanging out after church, and um, he was kind of practicing, I think, for worship and. I just like walked over to the drum kit and was like, so uh, how, do you, how do you do this thing? And you know, I, not even holding the sticks right, not even holding them in the right position. And he just kind of walks over and he's like, oh no, like this, and crosses my arms over and um, gets me the proper grip. And so I start, uh, I start kind of messing around and then he, um, he, teaches me like this is how you play a 4-4 four, four. Mm -hmm. and it's really funny because like other people walk up to me now uh, sometimes and they're like how do you do this and yeah. I'm like oh well this is how and I don't think anyone else that I've actually showed how to play a 4-4 four, four rhythm to has ever learned how to play the drums but that's like such a struggle it's it's very strange because like you know that first uh, time you're trying to grasp how do I do this? Um, it, you're like, you're really trying, but you're struggling. And then I think once I got that, uh, then doing some research and through additional tips from my friend Aaron, uh, it started to kind of click in for me. Um, and so kind of just studied on my own, got uh, like a practice pad from Guitar Center, and then later got my own drum kit. And... Rip Guitar Center. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So... I, remember, I think we went to Guitar Center a couple times. Yeah, I think so. No, it's probably accurate. Yeah. Um, What's up with Edward? Yeah, I, I, he's a loud snore. If anyone uh, cares to know what that sound is, it's my dog snoring. His name is Edward. Um, but, uh, later ended up getting my own kit and then, um, that obviously opened me up to be able to practice quite a bit more and you know, just kind of like either put a track on in my headphones and play along with it or, you know, play with a metronome and practice that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, eventually would, uh, join a couple different a few different worship bands uh, throughout time and and play in different churches. Yeah. During that as well, you really start to get delved into to jazz music, which makes sense uh, because it's like drums are the one uh, the one constant within jazz, typically, right? Yeah. So I mean, I think that uh, jazz. Uh, Jess celebrates um, self-expression very well. And I think that as a result, you know, there's so many different subgenres and expressions of jazz and music that borders jazz and other genres and jazz incorporated in other genres. But, um, you know, I think that uh, something that intrigued me about jazz was, um, you know, just the style of, of drumming, very different, obviously, more uh, swing beats and that kind of thing. And, uh, but also, you know, soloing, like every, every musician gets an opportunity to solo and like jazz drum soloing, I think really was interesting to me. 
So, um, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz. I think the artist that, I don't know, probably made me first love jazz was, was Miles Davis. But, uh, you know, around that time, I think I really liked uh, Max Roach. And uh, that was probably like my favorite jazz drummer to listen to and certainly had some influence on my drum playing. There's only so much uh, you can apply from that to worship music, of course. <laughs> you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna drum solo <laughs> at a worship set, but uh, maybe at a uh, gospel church. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, definitely not when you're doing uh, a prototypical worship song. Yeah, it's pretty tame drumming. I yeah. mean, uh, typically, and then. Um, you know, uh, working with different worship leaders, but most of them had this similar style of as as soon as you built that crescendo. You know, a lot of a lot of church drummers they're in they're in like caged caged they're caged. Uh, you know, they're they're um, kind of told not to be so expressive, and then if you get a little if you get a little loud, the <laughs> The worship leader might put his hand out and give you a certain gesture that says, "Like, okay, that's that's enough. That's enough now. Let's <laughs> let's let's not play the drums anymore. In fact, just stop playing just stop right playing. now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. Nope. No more drums for the rest of the set. It's all going to be quiet stuff. You can you can hit a cymbal a couple times here and there. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a tom, something a little light. And then you start to kind of build it back up, and you're like, okay, okay, we're getting somewhere. And then the worship leader just puts that hand back down. No, nope, <laughs> no, no drums. No drums. Uh, so that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that was uh, a lot of the, the experience I had, uh, just kind of following a leader, which is very weird, uh, because you think of, um, and I, uh, don't get me wrong, I had very good experiences on on worship teams as well uh with different musicians and uh learned a lot uh, throughout that time uh and so i i'm half, half kidding uh but also you know there there, there is a really interesting way in which as a at, in, in a worship service there's kind of like this you have kind of a conductor but you also you have you have a piece where you kind of have to stick to it but there's also an element of some level of improvisation you're right, allowed yeah. to do. So there's there's elements of all of it in kind of a live worship setting, depending so, on your depending on the church you're part of, of course. Right. It's, so it's more of just a matter of figuring out what that balance is of I, I think spontaneity so. and order. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So uh, after high school, you really start to. Um, kind of go away from just listening to whatever's on the radio and you are actively seeking out alternative bands like the Killers and Arcade Fire uh, who we've actually we went and saw Arcade Fire together it's true it was yeah. a great show it was a really good show um, so before I can't even what's the new album Everything Now yeah that was the Reflector album that we yeah. when we saw them yeah it was a good good yeah. show Oh yeah, what? Uh, how did the alternative music became your go-to? You know, I think uh, as I was uh, coming to find my own identity in life, uh, it was maybe like I was realizing that 
a lot of these things outside of jazz because jazz that was kind of just something I sought out uh, I actually there was a service called eMusic where uh, you had free access to a lot of different music at the time and that was where I got a lot of the jazz and uh, just kind of that was when I first started seeking out music that I liked not like um, you know what everybody else liked but uh, I kind of started to realize this was something that was resonating with me this was something that I liked when it was bands like Arcade Fire, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, The Killers and some others um, others on the indie borderline popular uh, delving some into probably some indie as well around that time um, but I think that was like me liking something and not because everyone around me liked it <laughs> yeah. and kind of you know learning a little bit about myself and what I like not just what was or what was happening and what people around me were listening to yeah so uh, at the around this time too you you get into um, is it correct that you went and saw mute math and that's when you or was did you already know about Mute math before the concert so I knew about mute math before the concert they actually hadn't even yet released their, their debut debut album self-titled um, and they had like a, I think they had released one version of it and they later re-released that that debut album through Warner Brothers I think the first time it was through there was a whole legal yeah there reason was some legal for that. thing and uh, so this was the first issuance of that and it was really funny this was the time of MySpace um, so I'm pretty sure that my MySpace had a Mute Math song uh, from like their first EP as like my song that played when you visited the page. Yo, nice. Uh, <laughs> that was like the coolest feature about MySpace. Right, right. Was the music that you could put on. Yeah. So, so I uh, I really um, I pre-ordered their um, debut album. And it arrived a couple days early or something. And um, I remember writing on the band's wall, like on, uh, on their MySpace. And I was like, hey, uh, you know, great album, you know, had some comments, blah, blah, blah. And I remember them messaging me back, like a private message. And they were like, how did you get it? And I was like, oh, uh, it just arrived a couple days early. And they were like, oh, okay, just making sure or something. Like, I think they were afraid it leaked out or right, something. Right, yeah. And um, <laughs> so uh, the show was like a couple days after this at the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor. And um, I, uh, I get there and, you know, I'm like, I know all the lyrics. I've like already familiarized myself with all the material because mm -hmm. I've gotten the album like two days earlier. And so, um, uh, I think both in recording, hearing the drumming of Darren King, as well as um, seeing him perform, that was at that time very inspirational to me. Like this, this was how I wanted to drum. Like he's so expressive and free. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, like for example, he, you know, he puts on headphones and then he tapes them duct tapes, his head. Yeah, duct tapes it around his head. It's uh, kind of a <laughs> cool, different way to. Yeah, you know, I appreciated both the way that he was, or I, I guess I appreciated that he was himself and that he was just so free in, in what he was playing and how he was playing. And I was kind of like, that's what I want to be. Well, and the whole band <laughs> is like that too. Totally. You know, it very much. Each one does that in their own way. Totally. Um, but, but it's, I think, like you said, a little, as a drummer yourself, that definitely had to yeah. resonate a ton with you. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think uh, we've been at a couple of the shows together. I've been at, uh, to, I think, about four of their shows. And you could just kind of see the, the growth uh, over the years of, of the band. Uh, and a lot of changes have happened in, in that band recently. Unfortunately, Darren King's no longer there. But, uh, but um, throughout the years, you could kind of see that um you know self-expression in, in different ways they had homemade instruments that they would play and uh you know they kind of i think got got rid of some of the more gimmicky things they were doing up front yeah uh, and the guitar the guitar yeah <laughs> and like kind of um kind of just coming to like really just want to express themselves the way they wanted to and not like uh have, have some gimmicks as part of it and yeah you know, it was so it's, it's kind of interesting to see them grow as a band as well. But, you know, the gimmicks might have been something they enjoyed too, I'm sure. I'm certain. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the last time I saw them for a reset, you know, they would pack, like have the, the guitar out on the crowd and the, they would all push yeah. the buttons, you know? Yeah, um, that was the name of uh, the EP, the yeah, reset. I was yeah. trying, to, trying to remember, I couldn't remember. Um, so, I mean, they, but that was the only song that, you right. know, they bring it out. Right. Kind of a thing. Yeah. So, it's, 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 it's there, but it's not like what it was on their first album. Totally. So, so, um, not only Mute Math, but then a real big influence, uh, Sufjan Stevens kind of comes into, into play, at, uh, right around this time as well right at post high school and what was what was it that was so fascinating about Sufjan for you because he I mean I, yeah he was so huge I don't like when we were roommates he was a huge influence for you yeah um so I think what I liked about Sufjan and still like about like about Sufjan is um he kind of, it's, it's hard to put Sufjan in a genre, you know, like people would be like folk, but, you know, even his songs, they, some of them have that uh, jazz influence. Some of them have a classical influence. He's done his own classical score that has that Sufjan sound and you yeah. just can't quite be like, you know, oh, that's classical or that's jazz or that's folk or whatever. He kind of just blended a lot of things and I think again around that time learning about expression like and i think it, the way that he just expressed himself freely didn't seem to have any bounds of genre or anything like that uh 
really impressed me, intrigued me. And, um, you know, I would listen to some of his folkier, banjo-driven stuff, and it would resonate with me in a time where, you know, kind of reflective and thinking about, you know, <laughs> something or whatever made me, made me think about something. And then, uh, you know, at the time, uh, Illinois was the newest album. Uh, and um, I would visit some of the happier, more upbeat uh, songs. It, it, you know, just depending on mood, I could find anything. And then, I'll never forget this. Uh, I had a friend um, who uh, we, we shared an interest in Sufjan in common. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he said, I was at the Christian bookstore and I saw this album by Sufjan called Enjoy Your Rabbit. And I didn't know anything yeah, about it, so yeah. I bought it. And, um, and he goes, have you ever heard it? And I said, no, I actually I've never listened to it. And he goes, man, it's absolute junk. He goes, I just don't even understand. Like, it's nothing like his other music. It's like his first album, I think. Yeah, and it's uh, it's all instrumental, right? And it's very weird. Actually, I think his first album was one. The sun came. Yeah, that was his first album, and but, but uh, it was his, at least his second, though. I think in yeah. your, uh, I could be wrong. I think a sun came was first, first and then enjoy and then enjoy your rabbit was second, if I remember correctly. But um, so uh, <laughs> I put it on. And I'm like, I kind of like this, you know, like, and, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I found myself like, I don't know what you call this, but I like it. It's mm -hmm. weird and I like it. Um, and, um, well, speaking of weird, what, so we went and saw him, uh, at the, it was like, a w less than a week after Age of Odds came out. Yes. And that was... That was quite the that show. That was weird. Um, <laughs> one, one, it was very weird from a visual perspective as far as the visuals that were behind uh, the band. As they, yeah, it was like his band. It was all playing. space uh, the, type of uh, visuals, right? The Sufjan with the sunglasses on, taking them off, putting them on, and dancing around as Sufjan is in front of you, like, performing. Uh, uh, and I, uh, one thing I did appreciate at the show, the dual drummers. That was, yeah. that was pretty cool. Right. And there were a lot of, like, really interesting, like, crescendos. Uh, but that was, yeah, I... Um, I remember listening to Age of Odds and thinking like, oh, it's kind of like he took, uh, it, it's, it's kind of like his, um, electronic stuff that he was doing on Enjoy Your Rabbit m mixed in with, um, you know, maybe the Michigan, Seven Swans, Illinois kind of stuff. And yeah. To me, it was like, okay, that's a progression that, that makes sense, you know? He obviously likes both of these things, and so I think he found a way to make them work together, and it was really weird, right. but I really liked it. <laughs> um, and that, I just remember the, the the crowd was just, we were all just standing there, just like, cool. 
When's the what, Chicago going to come yeah. on or, you know, Cashmere Pulaski Day? I or, you know, if like, I remember, he ended with Chicago. Yeah, he did. And it was the but most it, interesting rendition of Chicago because it blended kind of the new age of ads sound, style, yeah. sound into um, that song. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was awesome. But it was just like the first hour and a half. It's all age of odds. Like, what's happening to me? What's happening in front of me? What's happening to me? <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely an interesting show. So, uh, another impactful thing from Sufjan Stevens is his latest album. Uh, although it's been a few years now, yeah, uh, Carrie and Lowell. What yeah. what does that album uh, mean to you? So. Um, you know, it was actually, so when Carrie and Lowell had come out, I chose uh, not to listen to it. Um, Any reason why? I had read about the, you know, kind of relation to um, his mother and, uh, you know, um, and I kind of, so I, I had actually um, just recently lost my mother uh, around that time. Um, that same year, just a few months prior to that show at the Masonic in Detroit. And um, so I just chose not to even listen to the album. I said, I'm going to hear it. I, I, I can't remember. I, I, I think this is the only time I've ever done this, but I just said, I'm, I'm going to wait until the show to, to listen to it. And um, I think it was significantly more impactful to me like just what I had just been through and what he had just been through and we both had gone through something very difficult with our mothers yeah and uh, Sufyan had lost his mom yes, as well yeah and so we both had just gone through the difficult time of losing our mothers just to yeah put that even clearer um, and just the way that it impacted me when he was singing it and he was feeling it, I would say that's in the probably the top three shows that I've ever been to for just my personal experience and how it resonated with me. Yeah. As well as um, the performance itself was was pretty remarkable. But I, I I was deeply 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 impacted by uh, that show, and I remember at that time. Um, I was there, um, you know, kind of going through this uh, spiritual change in my life. But it was it was very interesting because I knew others who were there who, you know, they they didn't really have any uh, spiritual background or anything. And yeah. you know, I just remember a guy, a uh, guy I know, said he was like, "Man, I don't know. Sign me up. I wanna I wanna know this Jesus that that uh, that Sufian knows." <laughs> uh, like like that that was how impacted he was by the show and so I I thought it was really interesting a lot of people seem to get something different out of it but it was just very very powerful for everyone for me it was unbelievably personal having right. just gone through losing my mother and Sufyan going through losing his mother as well right I think uh, next kind of huge shift in your life musically is you start getting into post-rock um, so bands like Godspeed You, Black Emperor, 
um, what what was it about uh, the post rock lyricless uh, music that yeah drove you to listen to it? So um, you know, had been exposed to like explosions in the sky. This will destroy you, Mogwai. Number of others. Um, and it might have been me. It might have been you. I think it might have been me. Uh, or Zach. One of you two, probably. Uh, and did, did we go to Explosions in the Sky together? No, I did not make it to that show. I remember. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing a lot about it. But um, for me, uh, I think at the time I was kind of like. Uh, I think I had found last last.fm was using that to kind of discover some new music and that kind of thing and punched in explosions in the sky and heard another artist punched in another artist and whatever. And then I heard Godspeed You Black Emperor. And uh that was like okay, this. <laughs> this is um, incredible because um this almost like orchestral symphonic uh exploration of music like literally like i felt like you know they have these movements as as part of their music where it's it's a little bit uh you know um they were they're doing something very different than i think the rest of the, the post-rock crowd was doing you know they have these 20 minute pieces with tape loop and um you know, uh, all these other, uh, interesting, um, arrangements, uh, kind of sometimes dissonant, sometimes droning, sometimes, uh, you know, hopeful and, and, you know, like they just went through the array of emotions and they had somehow, uh, uh, going to their shows, even you especially see it. I love one thing. I will never forget about their shows is they have these like eight millimeter yeah. uh, dual projectors that are playing um, in in uh, in sync with their set, and um, there's uh, I don't I can't claim to know the person's name, but they I know they've had this person do that with them for for quite some time, and he he's very intentional about it. I actually. Last show I was at, uh, I was right behind him, and he was picking the clips and, and putting them in, and you know, it was all very intentional. You, you could see how it kind of lined up with the music, but I always felt this kind of like, okay, they're, they're, you can you can sense they're, they're political and like they're they're trying to convey a message that's mm -hmm. that's important. Um, and if you read, you know, the very little that they post on the internet and their. <laughs> Like on their interviews that they have or about uh, or so uh like just like when they, they would they, they have these little blurbs of text oh, okay. on their website and that sort of thing you can um and I, i'm trying to remember uh if there's anything else that just gave me this sense but like yeah, just hearing the music even i was like there's like a there's a political message and, and a, a message that they're trying to get across especially in some of their pieces with tape loop but, um, you know, I think I wanted to get away from the lyrical music because at the time, uh, you know, it was, I was part of this, well, we were part of it, but we've, we've been part of, uh, it, it, 
part of the kind of uh, church communities uh, that I was in at the time, it was like frowned upon to listen to secular music because of the messages and all these things. So somewhat counterintuitive because I just mentioned that I felt like this Godspeed you music had a message and I think all music has a message, but you know, there was this guilt listening to secular music. So I probably had a rotation of, you know, all these deemed uh, Christian artists that I was allowed to listen to. And then it was like, you know, I wanted something different from that because I was getting a little tired, right? So I think that post-rock being lyricless, but, uh, you know, it's having that expression, having that emotion. Yeah, it still evokes yeah. an emotion. Uh, so, you know, I think that was um, kind of important, uh, an important time for me. And, you know, that, that was, um, and I think, you know, Godspeed You is an article about artists that has uh, grown with me, uh, you know, grown on me and whatever. And so I think, um, yeah, I've I've gone to see shows. Uh, I, I, well, I'm going to see two shows of theirs, and the last one I went to was actually this past year. And I thought about between that time and the last show I went to, like, you know, they had released uh, three albums between then, and um, just kind of you know thinking about all of the ways that I've changed, and you know, just kind of hear these guys that, uh, you know, their music has changed some, but they keep that core and, you know, I don't know, there's just kind of something about these, these artists that you feel like kind of grow with you. Like you just kind of, you, you, you feel the growth strangely together yeah. in a very interesting way that it's hard to explain. It's funny because like, I feel like in a way that the, this post-rock era that you really got, you delved into kind of segued into the more experimental, uh, maybe avant-garde, uh, minimalist type of music that you really have delved in, into since, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, and uh, I think what's interesting is Godspeed You actually had a lot of influence from, uh, you know, the likes of Steve Reich and many of those I think uh, avant-garde musicians, um, but you know, um, I think around then I was listening to everything from Philip Glass to Glenn Branca, which uh, really was a fun one. I would love to play at that time. I would love to play a lesson number two by Glenn Branca for my friends because it was just so weird, and they would get. Uh, it, I, I think I had one person who told me they liked it and actually like wanted to listen to it more and everyone else was like, please turn this off. <laughs> this is, um, you know, uh, this is horrible. And, but, uh, I think during that period of time, uh, Steve Reich was probably my go-to artist, um, of all of the minimalist, uh, avant-garde ish composers um, and 
I've actually had the fortune of being able to see Music for 18 Musicians perform twice. Um, once in Ann Arbor and once in Detroit by New Music Detroit. Um, the other time by um, Eighth Blackbird in, uh, in Ann Arbor. Um, and, uh, you know, it was really interesting because Steve Reich, again, um, expressing this very different style of music, kind of repetitive, but building and growing. It's just repeating and repeating and building and growing. And if you listen to his earlier music, uh, where he's just phasing, where, you know, one track just kind of gets out of sync with the other track, that's uh, kind of one of his more common ways of, of building and forming music is that, you know, kind of as the piece goes on, another instrumentalist or a tape is starting to get slightly uh, out of sync with um, the rest of the musicians. And it's really, really kind of interesting, but I think that music for 18 musicians is probably his most uh, most explorative piece where it just kind of goes all over and you can hear this kind of African percussion uh, mixing with uh, you know he, he would he use he, he uses a lot of um, uh, he, he he expresses in a very percussive way, I would say, through through uh, through all of his pieces. There's there's good use of percussion. Maybe not all, but most most of his pieces. Uh, and um, so maybe maybe there was something that kind of rooted me to Steve Reich because he thinks like a drummer. No, not sure, but hmm, okay. Um, you know, there were two things about him that I liked uh, that. that that kind of repetitive music. It was something you could listen to and be very productive while you're working. Just a lot of emotion and just a lot of different things and you can introspect, retrospect, you know, it's just, I don't know, kind of, it, it, and it, seeing it performed even uh, makes it that much more interesting. Right. Yeah. Now to the like more, more present day, guys like Brian Eno, David Byrne of Talking Heads are really your go-to kind of performers now. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about those two, but I, I just, it's always, I think for you, it's always fascinating me how experimental music has kind of always been drawn to you. Any ideas to why that might be? You know, I think that uh, in coming into my own identity, uh, like, you know, and in figuring out who I am, um, I I think I I think I find some uh, I find that I like that these guys don't feel like they have to be bound to convention and popularity. Still manage to get to popularity. Yeah, they, they're successful. Successful, and, you know. Yeah, and they're successful in just being themselves, and they're right. successful. Uh, doing what they want to do, not what they have to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I realize myself, I kind of, I, I also, <laughs> that's, I, I don't want to just 
do something because I have to do it. I want to do something because I want to do it. And yeah. I don't really want to have to follow convention to get to uh, success. I don't want to have to, uh, you know, compromise to get to success. And I want my individuality. And these are people who have their individuality intact. They, they, they express themselves how they want to. And I think, Brian, you know, and David Byrne go hand in hand because Brian Eno produced uh, quite a bit of music with uh, Talking Heads as well as David Byrne and a couple of collaborations uh, that they've done. I think uh, what I liked, you know, <laughs> Brian Eno's experimental music ranged from, you know, um, the ambient music that we know today. Yeah, oh totally. Came from Brian Eno. And Absolutely. you go back in time and you hear some of his rock stuff and kind of almost borderline pop but like you know like it was before there was such a thing as alternative right and he was producing uh before and after science and um another green world and you know a number of other really interesting albums that just didn't really uh, way ahead of its time. Yeah, didn't really follow uh, the convention of the other music that was being released at the time. Yeah. I mean, you just had like rock and disco, basically. At that totally. Time. So um, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciated um, you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, just out there exploration that. Uh, that he was doing. Yeah. And then with Talking Heads, of course, uh, and David Byrne. Um, I actually had the pleasure of getting to see David Byrne on a tour last year um, and performed some of the Talking Heads stuff, but, um, you know, more so his, his solo material. Very, very, very good show. Very, very impactful to me to get to see him. Uh, and you know he he was a guy who um you watch videos of of him uh on tour um you know during the the early days and um you know it was kind of like they were a, they they were they were just producing the music that was what they wanted to produce and uh you know they were, uh, they were, I, I always appreciate the personalities that David Byrne would assume in his recordings. You know, like he, he would become this like, kind of like paranoid person who's like afraid to go outside, afraid to visit Detroit, afraid, to, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, and, and like, you know, he, he would call out the issues in our society, in our world, in a very unique way that I think um, would, should, should cause people to really think about them, you know? And uh, I appreciate that. And he did it in a very unique and creative way, uh, in a way that I, I think, you know, not many are doing. Right, yeah. What's fascinating me about him is that he is still, all this time later, still making critically acclaimed music totally um that's 
I think the thing that's that's fascinating to me, yeah, the most about him. Yeah, um, I've, I've really appreciated his. So, uh, like everybody's coming solo. to my house. That was probably uh, well, yeah. just some, that that American Utopia album. Was, I really did actually. I I, I had that album uh, on heavy rotation for for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, de definitely. And everybody's coming to my house was. Um, uh, great, great to see perform live as oh, well as, nice. um, you know, uh, and, and it, it, his live show is very, very different as well. He had uh, the the band actually is entirely mobile, uh, so like even the the percussionists they they have um, they they had drums around their necks and yeah. in, instead of you know an actual drum kit so right. the whole the entire band was mobile and moving around and had different parts uh, so it was it was like a whole production it right, wasn't yeah. it, was, it was like a an engaging uh, visual production as well I, I thought it was very impressive the way they had arranged it why is music so important why why do we listen to it you know, I mean, I think um, I think what what's interesting to me is certainly there is uh, a component of it does something in our brains that we can't quite explain, mm -hmm. but it, it activates something in our brain to make us feel joy, to uh, maybe heighten joy we're already feeling. To, to make us feel sad, to heighten sadness we're already feeling, um, you know. And I think that music, especially kind of those artists that, like I was saying, kind of grow with you, even, um, and the music that grows with you, uh, I think it, it kind of ebbs and flows with us, and we, we go through a lot in life. And, you know, Music, music is is constant, constantly changing. We're con we're constantly changing, um, but I think there's there's a number of things that it's it's hard to explain why why it's important. But also, I think it uh, I I think that music expresses something we can't express ourselves, and we know we feel it, we know we relate to it, and we might not always understand it, but like, what, uh, what we do know is that what this artist went through, maybe in they're communicating it lyrically, resonates with us in some way, or makes us feel a certain way, and there's no other way for us to feel that way. Mm -hmm than to listen to music. There's no other way for us to have this experience other than to hear this music. And there's no other way for us, you know, you go to a live show and you can't capture that. You can't watch a video and say, this is, this is what I felt, this is uh, how I was responding and all these different things, maybe in some ways, but it's just like unless you're there, there it, it's gone. You know the moment that that it's that, that you have seen that live show, and I think it's really interesting because there are 
artists who don't even perform live and wouldn't even maybe uh, you know just kind of record something and um, and that was it that was like you know they they recorded it they were happy with it they produced it and then they released it and they couldn't reproduce it because yeah. of the emotion and everything that went into it and but you hear it and you feel all those things too and you're like wow they felt it I'm feeling it you know, there's, there's a, I think there's a connection uh, somewhere there that it, it's just really hard to explain. But whatever, whatever that energy was that went into it is coming out of it, and you're experiencing it too in probably a different way uh, than the artist did. Yeah. Well, Tom, appreciate the, the conversation, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's always incredible to talk about music with you, so. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kaya Ligti. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.